the most powerful changes in our lives come through an invitation. Uh, think about that. Think about the, the, some of the, the biggest moments in your life. Uh, they came through an invitation and uh, something, an invitation for something more. Uh, I look at the, some of the biggest moments in my life. Uh, my wife, Kimberly, an invitation to go on a date with me. She said yes. An invitation to marry me. She said yes. Uh, Life-changing moment. Uh, Eight years ago, the church came to me and said, would you prayerfully consider being the next senior pastor? Not something I planned for. Not something I I was thinking was the life trajectory I was on. An invitation that radically changed the course of my life. Neither of those decisions would have been possible, though neither of those moments in my life uh, to the best things of my life would have been possible without the greatest invitation, though, that came in my life. And if you've been in this church I've shared with you, I was at a camp. And at a camp uh, uh, one evening, uh, the invitation, the best I can describe it, uh, in the quiet of my heart, hearing the voice of Jesus say, Bill, will you follow me? Even if your friends won't, will you, will you follow me? And so we sang a little chorus, which we're actually going to sing part of that chorus today at the very end of the service. And I came to the front and I nailed at the front. And all I can tell you is everything in my life changed from that moment on. It was not the same. I, 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 I said yes to that invitation and everything changed from that. And today as we begin chapter 23 of the story, it's entitled uh, Jesus' Ministry Begins. And what you're going to see in this chapter and in the chapters that, that follow these next few weeks is that His ministry is filled with invitations that Jesus is constantly inviting us to come with him. In fact, if we could summarize his invitation with two words, the two words would simply be this. Follow me. Follow me. And so uh, as we look not only into this chapter, but I hope that you'll see in the chapters ahead. I want to give you a big idea that will help frame what we'll see today, but I, I, I hope that you'll see these things in the weeks to come as well. And so here's our big idea today. It's that the life that God has for you begins with an invitation. Chapter 23 is going to illustrate this, this idea. It's not just how our life, though, begins with Jesus. If you want your life to deepen with him, then you have to constantly be listening for his invitations in your heart the, the things that he is going to invite you to let go of, the things he's going to invite you to embrace, Jesus will consistently be inviting you to trust him, to follow him. And I want you to see that uh, in chapter 23 today. So, uh, uh, so let me invite you to turn to chapter 23 of the story. And uh, uh, if you have a Bible, if you want to follow us along in the Bible, probably the best place is John chapter 1. And uh, that's probably one of the best places where we'll spend a lot of time today. So just to help describe what's happening, if you're new with us, uh, we're, we're in a series called The Story. And you're in a good place because we're kind of in a significant moment where we've just launched into the, the, uh, the life and ministry of Jesus. And so what we've been seeing as we've gone through this, so this resource, The Story, is uh, helping us see all the, the, some of the big stories of the Bible, not just like listening to great stories, but seeing how each of these stories helps tell the one big God story. And so what it is, uh, this resource is helping us do is to see that the Bible is not just a collection of stories that we learn moral principles from, but that there is 
a story. There's one big story happening from very first uh, pages of the Bible to the very end of the Bible. God is accomplishing his story in our lives. And so we've gotten to a place where last week we saw, uh, we've been waiting for this moment, that there was this uh, part of what God is doing from the very beginning all the way to the very end is that he's inviting us into relationship with him. And so he's created us for that purpose and that he's working. And we've seen chapter after chapter how he's working towards uh, restoring and redeeming that relationship with all his creation. And last week we saw how far God would go to make that happen And he did this by sending his son into the world. And we saw that as Jesus enters into the world, he's this long-awaited king. He's bringing in his kingdom. And that his kingdom is marked by grace and truth. Now, it's very interesting from Jesus being a baby. We have a bunch of stories of him being born. And we have like a a couple stories of him as kind of a, a very young, but really nothing from birth to 30. There's not much that we have in that time. So where we're going to pick up today is where Jesus, where the Bible takes us next, that Jesus is 30 years old. And just to understand a little bit about the context of the world that Jesus is entering into, the Israel that Jesus is entering into, is that uh, this is a time in which the people are screaming for revolution. Uh, They have, as they have in their past, they are once again being occupied by another nation. Rome has come in, has occupied Jerusalem and, and and the region. And so they are praying, they're hoping, they're seeking a revolution. And so if you think about the people, there's kind of two ends of the spectrum. You have on the one hand, you have the zealots. And the zealots are people who, if we need to, we will take it by force. Uh, We need to return Israel to its greatness, and we are willing to die for it. On the other hand, you have the Essenes. The Essenes have now uh, left and gone out into the desert. They've basically kind of escaped everything. And so between these two, you have everybody else kind of living in there, kind of wondering. And what you know is everybody feels the exact same thing. It's time for a revolution. And God wants to bring a revolution, and he brings it in the most interesting way through a man named John. Uh, We know him as John the Baptist. And so chapter 23 opens with uh, us learning a little bit about this man, John the Baptist. It says this, that in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And so John comes, this, this kind of wild preacher, he's wearing camel hair and he's eating bugs and honey and he's kind of living out there. He's kind of taking on this Essene life. But he's out there preaching to the people and he's saying, look, God is coming. His kingdom is at hand. You're going to begin to see it and feel it and know it. And he says, my job is to prepare the way. So if you're expecting company, you, you kind of clean up everything, right? You get everything ready for company to come. And he's saying, it's not just company that's coming. God is coming. The king is coming. And when he comes, we need to be ready. And so John's ministry is, is characterized by two things. He is preaching repentance. Now, repentance means to, to turn your life around, it means to, to, you're going one way, you turn and go another way. And, and specifically when we see it in the scriptures, it is an invitation to turn our lives back towards God. And so John's message is very clear. We need to turn our hearts back towards God. We've strayed from God. 
And if I can prepare you for all that God wants, then turn your heart back towards him. And so he's, he's preaching, repent, it's here, it's near. You'll miss it if you don't. The other thing that marked his ministry was baptism. Now, the word baptism means to immerse. And so uh, baptism up to that point was something that was done to, it was kind of a ritual cleansing of people who were converting into Judaism. Uh, if you were a Gentile, you would, you would be baptized as kind of a cleansing, a symbolic cleansing. But baptism begins to take on a, a, a different meaning because here now Jews are coming to be baptized. And so they are, on the one hand, they are, are, are recognizing that this need to be cleansed and to get their lives right as part of this. But they're also, what they're saying is, I am submitting myself. I'm immersing myself into the life of God. I am submitting myself to God. And so the first thing I want us to see, the very first point I want us to see, I think is characterized by John's baptism here. And it's this, that God invites us to start a new life with him by leaving our old life behind. God invites us to start a new life with him by leaving our old life behind. So, so John's baptism was designed for two things, to cleanse the past, but to prepare them for the future. His message was repent, turn the way you're going so that you don't miss God's kingdom. Now, be honest. It is impossible, isn't it, to go in one new direction and the old direction at the same time, right? You, you cannot go in the old direction and cling to the old direction at the same time. You cannot go after the new and cling to the old at the same time. You have to choose. You have to choose. Now, when I married Kimberly, I made a really, really smart decision. I stopped dating other women. Now, that was, that was healthy on, a, on a, a number of reasons. One, it gave us a much better marriage. But uh, I know my father enough, well enough now that had I come to him and said, if he said to me, hey, Bill, how, how's, how are you and Kim doing? How's your marriage doing? I said, you know, Kim and I are doing great, but I'll tell you what, my dating life sucks. Like, I, I just cannot seem to get a date anymore. My body would have disappeared and no one would have been able to find uh, its remains had I said that. So it was a healthy decision on a number of, of ways. When, when we, we begin a new life, we have to be willing to leave an old life behind. And we see this in John's ministry that he's saying, if you, if you want to embrace all that God is going to do, leave that old stuff behind and embrace this new work that God is about to do. Now, there's this powerful moment that happens. And if you read chapter 23 this last week, you, you, maybe you saw this and you thought, this is interesting. Jesus comes and he is baptized. And maybe you're thinking, why is Jesus getting baptized? If he, if he doesn't have any sin in, in his life, why is he getting cleansed from sin? And what we see in this moment is baptism has a radical shift. Here we really see this idea of in baptism, we are submitting ourselves to God. See, John's reaction when Jesus comes is, whoa, 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 whoa. I am not worthy even to untie your sandals. I should not be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And he goes, no, this is right. This is the right thing to do. And John baptizes him. And in this moment, there's this kind of this cool moment. Uh, it says this in Matthew chapter 3, that as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. 
With him I am well pleased. This moment that Jesus is baptizing, getting baptized is a moment which he is saying, for 30 years I've been a carpenter, I've been the son, I've been all these things, but now it's time. And he is embracing the will of the Father and he's submitting himself to the will of the Father. And as he goes under the water, there's this moment where all of heaven, you see uh, uh, Father, Son, and Spirit all together in this moment. The Spirit descending on him, the Father saying, oh, Son, I am so pleased at what's happening right now. There's a shift from ritual cleansing, there still has this a little bit of this, to an act of submission to God. And what we'll see in the weeks after Easter is that when the church began and people began to call, they began to have faith in Jesus, that the very first thing that people did was they got baptized. And, that bapti- and being by, by being baptized, they were saying as baptism that to, to be immersed, to be, to be, uh, uh, they were immersing their lives now in Jesus. Let me say this. For a number of you here this morning, it is time for you to be baptized. Uh, you have had a dynamic work in your heart. You, you feel the stirring of God in your heart and your life. But in many ways for you, it is now time for you to say, I want to publicly say that I, my life is, is being immersed into the life of Jesus. It is the right thing to do. And Jesus will say, if you want to follow me, then what we'll see is then you need to be baptized. So, two baptisms coming up. Here in the Fountain Valley campus on March 19th, the nice 90-degree water right behind the curtain here, we have a little tank. Or if you're a little more adventurous, the not 90-degree water at the beach on May 21st. So there are two baptisms coming up. And if uh, here's what I love about baptism. Baptism is a moment in which you draw a line in the sand in which you say publicly that Jesus has been doing something in my heart and my life is now aligned with his. And when I go under the water, my old life is dying. I'm leaving that life behind and I'm coming up. I'm being risen again to live this new life as his follower. This is who I am now. I'm not there yet, but this is who you're getting from this point on. My guess is there's probably 10, 20 of you who are ready for that decision. You, you know that God has you. And some of you are waiting till kind of you get your life perfect or better. It, it, you're, you're always, you're going to find that it's kind of a sliding scale that every moment you think you're there, you're going to realize you have a lot further to go. This is a key moment for you to say, I'm not there yet, but here's where I am. It's time for my old life to be set aside, my new life to begin. This is who I want to be from this moment on. And I want to encourage you. So on, your, uh, on that response card, on those connect cards, on the back, there's a spot where you can check that you want to be baptized. I want to encourage you to check that. Uh, uh, that's an important part. Some of the best moments, the best revolutions of our life come at an invitation to take a risk. So here's, here's an invitation. I want to invite you to, uh, to immerse your life in Jesus through baptism. Now, that moment very likely will be followed like Jesus' next moment. So here's this great moment. Jesus is ready to say, I'm in. And it says that God then leads him into the wilderness. 
It's a very interesting uh, idea. And as he leads them into the wilderness, right away he is tempted by the devil. Forty days he goes without any food, and he's hungry, and the, and the devil comes right in there, and he begins to tempt Jesus. Now, you start thinking, why in the world would God lead him into that? Well, the language is very similar to what we saw in chapter 4. When God was leading his people out of slavery towards the promised land, remember, he didn't take them on a straight line. He took them down into the wilderness. There was a little bit of a test, a little bit of preparation, a little bit of getting them ready for what they were about to go, building their trust. And in the same way, he leads his son in. He leads him for this moment, and the devil comes. And, and I just want you to be prepared that anytime you want to live for God, Expect opposition. Expect challenges. And this moment comes. And what Jesus does is so fascinating. And it's, 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 for, it's so important for us to see. Jesus does two things. He, he submits himself more and more to the, the will of the Father. And he holds tightly to the word of God. So Satan comes and tries to twist the word of God. And tries to twist things. But Jesus holds tightly to, to the word of God. And he resists him time and time and time again. And James, who writes much later in the Bible, says this, and I think it characterizes this moment. He says this, and this is great wisdom for us. James 4, 7, you can look it up. It says this, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves to God, hold your ground, resist. Okay, you don't have to fight the devil, just hold your ground, resist. And, And what we see in Jesus is this, he submits himself to God. He holds firm to what God's word has promised. And ultimately, we see the devil flee. Now, leaving the old behind is not easy. Many, uh, you will see in the weeks ahead that encounter Jesus, they can't do it. They can't leave behind old traditions and old patterns and old lifestyles. They can't leave uh, uh, certain things behind any longer. Uh, but here's the challenge we're going to see. Jesus isn't looking his invitation isn't this, can I just be a part of your life? Can I, just, can I be just like a, 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 like a sliver of your already very busy life? That's not what he's interested in. I love how Pastor Jason says it. He says this, Jesus doesn't want my life. My life's a mess. He's inviting me into his life because he knows that my, my mess of a life can only find true meaning in him. And this is why the invitation time and again from Jesus is this. Follow me. Follow me. He wants us to completely trust him. To let go completely of the old life. To embrace this new life. And he does this because of the second thing that I want you to write down uh, today. That Jesus invites us to expect even greater things. Even greater things when we do life with him. I I don't know if you believe this, but Jesus did not come to ruin your life. He came actually to replace your life, to give you real life, the life that God has always dreamed of for you. And as we begin to watch Jesus launch his ministry, we'll see in his first followers that Jesus is really more than a, 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 he's never trying to be a, a great teacher. He's not just trying to expand on our worldview or give us some kind of philosophy of life. Jesus, from the very beginning, makes it known that he is about something much bigger than that. Even John makes this fact known. So the next day it says that Jesus comes 
He's coming toward him and John says this, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said a man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. So John says, I came, I was baptizing you. I was trying to open your eyes so that you could see him. Do you know who he is? He's greater than me. He is before me, which is interesting because John was born first. He is God's son. He is the lamb of God. He is the one who's come into this world and he will just, he's going to take away the sin of the world. Now, two of his disciples, two of John's disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, are listening to these words. And so notice what happens. When two of the disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them looking, saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated... Is Peter. Now we see this that, that they see Jesus as a rabbi. A rabbi is a teacher, and disciples were learners. So, what, uh, uh, what you would do is you would approach a rabbi, you would learn not just the rabbi's teachings, but you would learn to take on his whole lifestyle. And so they, they reach out to him. And these first two disciples, Andrew and many scholars believe, is John. The second one is John, who wrote the Gospel of John. They are trailing after him. And notice what he says. Jesus sees them and he asks, so what do you want? And they say, well, we want to see, we want to come see where you're staying. We want, to, we want to listen to you. We want to see what you're all about. And so Jesus gives this interesting invitation. Come, see, come, see. Chuck Swindoll says that these would be words that would have lifelong implications for these two. Come, see, what I'm all about. Now, the Bible tells us this, that it's about four o'clock in the afternoon when they arrive. They talk into the night. Very likely that they stayed the night. I mean, they, they had dinner together. It went deep into the night. They might have just crashed over where Jesus was staying. Now, if you don't think this was an, an exhilarating conversation for Andrew, look again. Because it says the very first thing that Andrew did was he ran to his brother Simon and he said, you, you've got to come meet him. We've found the one. We've found the, the one who's going to bring the revolution. And so he brings his brother Simon, and Jesus does this. He looks at him. He's introduced. He's, this is my brother Simon. He goes, Simon, you look more like a Peter to me. And he nicknames him Peter on this first meeting. And in this moment, we see something about Jesus, that Jesus sees people not as they are, but as they, how they would ultimately become, Jesus sees them not as they are, but as who they would ultimately become. It's the same today. It's the same for us. 
And in this moment, I, 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 quick tangent here. We, we need Andrews in this church. We need Andrews who will have such exhilarating moments with Jesus that they cannot help but run to their 8 to 15, their friends and family, and say, you have got to meet this guy, Jesus. We need more Andrews here. Now, I hope you're, you're beginning to notice something, and if you haven't noticed it yet, start watching for it. That Jesus' invitation is incredibly personal. It's incredibly personal. Come with me. Come, see, follow me. You'll see it again and again. In fact, it, uh, the next thing it says is that there's this guy, Philip. And we don't know, uh, John doesn't tell us how he knew who Philip was. All we know is Jesus is kind of scanning. He's like, there's this guy, Philip. I need to find him. And he finds him. He's searching for him. He's hunting for him. He finds him and he says, Philip, come, follow me. Philip goes and gets his friend, Nathaniel. And he says, look, we found the guy. We found the one. And they bring him. And he's, Jesus replies, ah, Nathaniel, here's a, here's a true Israelite. And he's like, how do you know me? He goes, well, I saw you and you were sitting under this tree before even Philip got to you. He's like, oh, you're the one. He's like, seriously? You think I'm the one because I said that? Jesus said this, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see even greater things than that. And then he adds this, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And from this moment on, there's this glimpse that you come with me and you will see greater things than you ever imagined. Jesus invites us to expect greater things if we come with him. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that when he looks at you, he doesn't just see you for who you are, he sees your potential of who you can become? If his life is coursing through your veins? There's this amazing thing that, that you'll start to see. Um, Jesus is almost like how many of you are as parents, that there's sometimes there's things that are so good you have for your kids you're so excited about it that you cannot hold it in. Like you've got to give them a glimpse. You've got to give them a peek, right? You've got to sneak a peek. I know it's like we've got, the, we've got to wait three weeks until this happens or you've got a big vacation you're planning, but I've got to let them know. Like, no, no, don't let them know. They can't handle it. I, got, I just got to give them a peek. And Jesus begins to do this. And he's saying this, look, I'll give you glimpses. I'll give you glances. You will see even greater things, but I just want you to know it's just a peek right now. And Jesus begins to do these miracles. He begins to, to, to do things that they get a chance to see things in which he's saying, I just wanted you to see in this moment that in my kingdom, there is no pain. That in my kingdom, there is no suffering. That in my kingdom, there is no death. In my kingdom, you don't have to worry. And all along the way, he's doing these little things and they're just going, oh, so good. So good. Now, the first miracle is so interesting that you almost kind of wonder and kind of scratch your head and go, seems like a strange way to begin. Uh, and so here's what happens. They go to a wedding. So he's got this little ragtag small group of guys that are starting with him and his family. They go to a wedding. And weddings back then are a little different. You don't just have a wedding and then that night you have a little short party. These parties go on for days. And at the party, they run out of wine. 
Now, if you're the host and you run out of wine and you have all your friends and family and the whole village is there, this would bring shame on the family. And so Jesus' mom gets wind of this. She goes to Jesus. The family's run out of wine. You got to do something. And he's like, why is this my problem? And she goes, do what your mother said, okay? (laughs) Whatever he tells you to do, you do it. And so here's this interesting moment where Jesus is very, it seems like he's willing to not do anything, but now something happens. So what does he do? He grabs these these, uh, empty, uh, ordinary uh, vessels. They they were used to, to be filled with water for ceremonial cleansing. And so he grabs these water pots, these empty, ordinary vessels. He grabs them. He fills them all with water. And when they begin to draw the water out, it turns into this wine. Not just any wine. It's so good that the people are like, wow. They go to the host. You have saved the best wine for last. Like usually people wait till people are kind of whoop and they bring in the, like, the water down stuff. But you guys, you, let, you brought the, you brought the it, this stuff is incredible. Now you're watching this miracle and you're going... If you're, now, if you're one of the first disciples, you're like, wow, we picked the right rabbi. This is the party rabbi. I like this guy. <laughs> but I want you to kind of look past just what's happening to look a little deeper. So wine in this time is a symbol. It's a symbol of life. And it's a symbol of joy. And so here's this moment in which Jesus takes something ordinary, something unfilled, and he's invited to participate in it. And he fills these ordinary, empty vessels with life and with joy. This is who he is. His desire is to take our ordinary, unfilled lives and to fill them with life and with joy. If we would only hear his invitation and allow him in. Now, it's fascinating. People are really struggling to kind of figure him out. And so all along the way, he starts doing the most, as he's doing all these incredible things, people can't figure out, I can't get my hands around you, Jesus. There's one guy, his name's Nicodemus. He's He's a religious leader, and he's struggling. In fact, so much so that he comes out in the middle of the night. He meets Jesus in darkness, and he says, look, I know you're from God, but I can't figure out who you are or what you're saying or how you're doing what you're doing. And Jesus says something very interesting to him. So in John chapter 3, we read this, that there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. So this guy is saying, I, I, can't, I can't get my head around you. Why can't I see it? And he says, well, because you're not born again. And he's going, okay, that's gross because I'm an old guy. What am I supposed to do? Go like climb back in my mother's. Like how does, I don't understand what you mean by that. How would this happen? And they have this conversation. Then Jesus says something to help us understand to what extent God would go to to bring us into relationship with himself, he says these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. God loves his creation so much that he could not turn his back on it. In fact, it says, Jesus says this, that God would go so far as that he would send his one and only son. It's not as if God has a, a, eight sons and he can lose one. It will hurt, but at least he has seven more. He says, no, he would send even his one and only son into the world. And he says this, that if you would believe in him, and that word believe means to trust. He says, if you would, it means to put your confidence in. He says, if you would just believe, then your eyes would be open and you begin to see what it is that God is doing. And he, Jesus continues to surprise them. He comes across this woman. She's been divorced five times. It's the middle of the day. They're collecting water. The reason she's out in the middle of the day is because of the shame that she feels. She wants to go out in the middle of the hot day hoping that she won't run into anyone. And who does she run into? Jesus. And he has this conversation. She's been divorced five times, which means five different men have chosen to divorce her. Women at that time had no say in divorce. And the guy she's living with now, he just wants her for sex. And they have this conversation. And in this incredible moment, Jesus reveals who he is. And she runs to people. And she says, you've got to come and see him. A little later, he's passing through and he's coming across this guy. He's a tax collector. His name is Levi. And everyone's thinking, oh, here comes this moment. Finally, someone let Levi have it. Here comes Jesus as he walks up to the table and he says these words. Follow me. No one was more hated in the culture. No one was considered a bigger sinner. And Jesus looks at him and says, come. Follow me. And in these, this woman and this man, I hope for any of you who think you're the outlaw, you're the one who there's just no way, there's no way God could invite me into his life, into his kingdom. The Bible intentionally gives us these stories so that you see there's no one that he is not inviting into his life. As we think about how to respond this morning, I want to encourage you uh, with just a simple response. Uh, it's, it's simple but not easy. And the response is this, that if you really want to experience all that God dreams for your life, then you have to respond to Jesus' invitation and follow him. The most powerful changes in our lives begin with an invitation to take a risk. And the invitation to follow Jesus means that you're going to leave your old life behind, that you, that's life in which you ruled and you reigned, and you are making a decision to begin a life with him, that you're going to, to find yourself uh, immersing your life in his life. And for some of you, today is the day in which you need to decide that. And in just a moment, we're going to pray and if that is your decision today, I just want you to pray with me. And here's what the Bible says. I think this is pretty awesome. 
Jesus said this. He says, you might not think it's that big of a deal, but let me tell you. He says this, I tell you that there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus says that when one person says, I'm leaving this old behind and I'm starting this life of trusting him and following him, he says, you don't see it. It may feel like an ordinary moment to you, but it's not for heaven. And all of heaven celebrates. And so just a moment, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to an invitation, much like I had when I was a high school kid, to decide today to follow Jesus. Some of you need to decide today to be baptized. Uh, It's an important decision. It's the right thing for you to do. But all of us, all of us need to start tuning into his voice more and more. If you want to go deeper in your life with him, then you have to be listening for his invitations. And these invitations involve risk. It means leaving old things behind. It means embracing things new. And that is scary sometimes. But the more we listen, the more we will go deeper into his life. And the greater and greater the things are that he can allow us to to experience. And so let's pray together. Let me invite you to bow. This morning, if you recognize that today is your day to repent and believe, to say, I need to leave this old life behind and today I need to begin to be his follower. I'm going to pray and I just invite you, if, if this is your prayer, just to, to join in with it. Jesus, thank you for coming. And today... I recognize how important it is to leave my old life behind. A life where uh, I'm stuck in sin and I have rebelled against you. But today I want to leave that behind. I want to put my faith in you. And I want to begin to be your follower today. Lord, I know that uh, those who that's their, their commitment, you will cleanse them of their sin and fill them with your spirit. And so I pray just as, as heaven rejoices with those who are deciding that today, I pray that they might rejoice as well. That they might, as best they know in this moment, uh, they just understand that something very special is happening today. The beginning of something uh, very unique, very powerful. Lord, for those who need to be baptized, we pray that they would have the courage to take that next step. And for all of us, Lord, who need to just listen to your voice more and more, the things ahead, help us have the courage uh, to not be afraid, uh, to not just hear what you have to say, but to obey it.
If this morning you want to begin this life with Jesus as we pray, uh, it's a private moment between you and God, but if you need to proclaim it in a a much more loud way, uh, in the end, we're going to sing a couple songs, but in this, uh, uh, the last song that we're going to sing, there's a a little part of the song that talks about that I have decided to follow Jesus. And if uh, if for you, it would help you, uh, I'll be standing right here at the front uh, if you want to. Uh, Come down next to me and just tell me, that's my commitment today. Uh, And let me pray with you. Okay, so let's, let's, uh, let's sing together these final songs and let them be used as God continues to, to draw us into his presence.